This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. All right. Uh, lightning round uh, presented by Data.World. Let me kick it off. So is the rise of large language models like ChatGPT causing an inflection point for knowledge graphs? What's inflection point? I mean, it's a tippy. The, we're tippy, right? Things, things are changing. Right. Because yeah. Hockey stick. Um, it's not. No, it's it's just um, it could just kind of gives us more fire under the ass to say like now you really need us and this is um, actually necessary. It, it's just a maybe it's it's becoming so fast and so ridiculous that we now need that grounding that we get from knowledge graphs. So in that sense, but I don't think it's a, a tipping point for us. It's just it's been a long development to get here. All right, Tim, you go next. Maybe if LLMs are helping us go to the moon, sometimes we need a little gravity to keep us settled, right? <laughs> gravity um, keeps us back from the moon as well, so we can yeah. land home. That's true. We have to make sure we can come back too. Uh, second question is, um, was it easy to teach folks about Knowledge Graph at a company like IKEA? Yes, because in IKEA, the humanistic side is so important. <clears throat> so when I told them that this is the non-creepy AI, this is the one where humans have a say, and that machines kind of know a little bit more about humans, they were super adaptable to it. They were like, they were, they didn't like machine learning. They were like, that's horrible. They were getting the Terminator creeps. They're like, I don't want it. But when I told them, hey, we have this friendly, transparent human takes control over everything, um, um, AI, and that's the knowledge graphs, they're actually really taking on to it. It's humanistic. This is interesting. An interesting uh, pattern there, like uh, companies who really care about people. Yep. Uh, next question. Will AI development teams learn and build knowledge graph expertise on their own, or do they need to hire externally? I think everyone who invests in knowledge graphs uh, finds themselves to needing to hire an ontologist so they can learn about Sparkle, like de developers can learn Sparkle and they can learn RDF as a standard, but they do have a hard time to have this ontological thinking where you need to, you know, design for um, description logic. So they do need those people. Wow, that's um, I just took a note on that. I think that's a very interesting that developers can learn the sparkle, but you know, you need an ontologist for the description logic. I think that's a really good takeaway. Um, all right, last lightning round question for you. Will data teams be the one to drive this knowledge capture and knowledge design? Or should a different team be doing that? No, it should be the business. It should be the, the management who's saying, like, I don't understand our data. I cannot ask this question or this question takes me to 20 days to be answered. I want it to be answered in 20 seconds. So it definitely needs to be management who drives the lunch crowd. This? All right. I was actually thinking you were going to say the data team, right? Okay. Good. No. <laughs> They're too low in the food chain. <laughs> <laughs> More honest, no BSness coming out. Less data engineers asking for knowledge graph. More, more CEOs asking for knowledge graph. There you go. All right, we got a lot of notes. Tim, take us away. Takeaway time. Takeaway time. So, um, you, we started off by talking about how humans shouldn't be run by technology. We shouldn't be passive. We should take control. We should have agency. We should be active 
with technology. Uh, and things like ChatGPT uh, provide a new opportunity for us to be kind of lazy and let it run us instead of us doing the work to, to make it smarter, to make it better, to make it more responsible for it to do better things for us. Um, you talked about mobile phones for an example, right? You don't you don't have to throw away the mobile phone in order to uh, in order to get control of things, uh, but you do have to take active action, right? Um, we should take charge of the fact that AI is spouting BS and things like that. Um, if facts, uh, if it's saying things that aren't facts, so we need to take take charge and and we have to accept that that that's crappy. That that can't be something that we accept. It has to be something we address. Um, and uh, we don't have to take the attitude of it. Uh, it is what it is. Um, we talked about how um, you know is there a difference between companies taking an active approach with with AI and with technology versus consumers taking an active approach. And you mentioned that it it's not necessarily that different, um, even though maybe consumers have a little less agency, right? Like in the phone example, you can only configure the notifications based on what it lets you configure, right? But you do still have some control. As companies, maybe we have a greater realm of control, but ultimately we still have to choose to take that action uh, and choose to take that active role. Um, in the context of la large language learning models, everyone can take more actions as learning of the uh, of users of the technology. For example, organizations could be creating a knowledge graph to create structured knowledge and passing that on to the AI. Even consumers can do something like this, right? Where you can tell ChatGPT some facts, some context, either part of your prompt or part of your session, and now it's going to have more grounding, right? It's going to spout less BS, less hallucinations, right? So I think this is a, a new skill that we're all learning um, around how to curate structured knowledge and use it to get better results, get better answers, get faster answers. Whether you think of it as a knowledge graph or not, that's essentially what you're doing. You're building a little tiny knowledge graph in, in, that, in the context of that right there. Um, uh, last, before I switch it over to you, Juan, we talked a little bit about machine learning versus AI. Um, you really emphasize the importance of this humanistic factor um, that uh, when you take more of a structured approach to knowledge, um, you're really uh, you're creating facts and you're giving AI facts. Um, and uh, in the past, uh, you know, folks may have told you, you know, machine learning does it better than KG or something like that. But there's a shift happening where folks are saying, oh, structured knowledge would actually make my model better. Um, and there's a paradigm shift starting to happen, similar to what happened with DevOps maybe 10 years ago around building, deploying, and managing software. That same thing is starting to happen now with machine learning, KG, and AI. Juan, over to you. Well, we got we, so, so much more to go. So when we went over the whole the three layers, sorry, the knowledge graph, the, the, the hundreds of concepts, the thousands of categories, the millions of data, Right, so the, the, the concepts are going to be like the in your example for IKEA. It's like, oh, a product. That's a class. It's a concept. They're made of materials and has has activities. Right, that's that first layer. There's going to be hundreds of those, uh, and then we go into the second layer, which is going to be the thousands. Which now we get into like, okay, so we're going to go do activities. Well, there are twelve activities. Actually, in, in, in IKEA's case, it's just literally one person who's in charge centrally to go to find those things, and then there are other types of materials. There's wood and metal and so forth. That first two layers should be stored centrally so everyone can find that. And that third layer can go to the millions. That th This could be central. This could be decentralized. It, it could be in a graph. It could be in a database. It could be virtual. It could, whatever it is. And this is now starting to connect 
all the different data uh, back to connect to those two first layers. And this should be automatic because nobody's going to be manually uh, curating any of these millions of things. So I think I really like these, these three layers. And you have a blog post about that. Highly recommend folks to go take a look at it. Um, let's connect us to business value. Like how is this providing, making more money, saving more money, right? I think it's really interesting for a company like Ikea that you have this whole human side, the, the Ikea magic, which actually when you go inside a physical store, things are packed and are presented in a way because it's been thought out about it. Now, how do you translate that magic inside of the digital, the .com? Well, it's not there and we and you want to get it there. So providing all that, uh, that expertise in the form of the knowledge graph, like that, that, that's how you're achieving it because at the end you want to go sell more accessories with the furniture, right? Make it easier to go shop. And, and I think by mining kind of understanding how interior designers think about it, it helps to go drive upsells, product simulators and so forth. Um, at the end, people are doing already things with computer vision, but it's actually not as good for like managing prices. So you, this helps for some sort of, of, of computer vision. Uh, we, we had this discussion around like going from an algorithmic centric AI, data centric, knowledge centric, and it's like, seems like, yeah, you really need to understand the use cases and depending on the use cases, you need to invest more on this. Um, and then we kind of wrapped up with, hey, upskilling subject matter experts. It kind of seems like a great idea uh, in theory. Uh, maybe there's some possibilities that you could have upskill them, uh, but there's probably going to be unicorns around that. So really what, you, what you've uh, kind of uh, uh, adopted is they need to be tool enabled and knowledge graph aware, uh, these subject matter experts. Uh, and finally, what are you excited about next? A non-creepy cookie-less digital personalization. All right. Yes. How did we do? Anything we yeah. missed? Well, well done. <laughs> I felt like my life flashed before my eyes. <laughs> well, uh, this was all you. So, hey, we're, let's wrap this up. Three final questions quickly. What's your advice? Who should invite next? What resources do you follow? Um, my advice is, um, like, go and look at other fields, like, Go look at what's happening in the arts. Um, how are they talking about knowledge? Uh, no, not knowledge. They're not talking about, but how they're talking about these phenomenons. Like, um, do put attention to the emotional, um, <clears throat> like emotional reaction to the technology we're building, and understand it a little bit better to to play with that. Because even though technologies are more known about, like, know more about technology they will still have those emotional reactions. So do look at how art is um, discussing these artificial intelligence. I don't mean watch Terminator. There's also like other things that are really nicely working with it. <clears throat> and then what was the second one? Who should you invite next? Who should you invite next? Like there's a lot of like really great names here. I'm not sure if they've been here already. Um, I. I think you should really talk to. I, I've been really impressed by by uh, learning more about Wordlift and Andrea Mabini. I think you should talk to next. But if you, yeah, yeah, we have not had them. No. They like he and what they're doing. Wordlift looks really promising. They they're really on it to do um, you know SEO, but now with um, not um, complement people searching on Google, but people searching on ChatGPT. So that's super interesting. Um, that's one of like. One of the talks that really impressed me. And then third one. What resources do you follow? So um, I follow, I read newspapers. I really love any um, sites that talk about culture. So my favorite 
this is like my most favorite Saturday past um, like activity is to read the Financial Times Weekend of Life and Arts section. So the Life and Arts section of FT Weekend, because it always has this like beautiful, um, very well written journalism about literature, world events, especially like interesting cultural things happening in Africa. They have a lot, they covered that really well. There's always like a person that they have lunch with. And sometimes I dream that maybe, you know, FT will have lunch with me. I'm not that person yet. But, you know, I used to dream that I would be in catalog cocktails a few years ago, <laughs> and here I am. So maybe next time in a few years, well, like okay. 20 years, I'll be like in lunch with FT. That's my dream. But um, and for me, it's like my women's magazine. I relax when I read about culture, when I read about like, like just somebody having really thought out reflections of things that are happening currently. I, so, I love that recommendation. You know, pe people sometimes get so steeped in like technology and business and stuff like that to look at it from the arts angle is such a good contrast and a great way to get a wider view. One of the best tech comments I found, I, I found on FT Life and Arts. Well, there we go. Well, Katarina, this was fantastic. We went through so much and we learned so much about the, your, your experience and perspective of uh, applying this at IKEA. Just a quick reminder, next week we have Maddie Want, who is the VP of Data Fanatics, Betting and Gaming. And she's also the author of Precisely, Working with Precision Systems in a World of Data. We have tons of like digital transformation stories we're going to go through. So it's actually going to be hard to pick kind of the, her favorite ones. But really excited about that. With that, Katarina... Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Tim. Thanks, Data World lets us do this every Wednesday. And, you know, we're off to this really nice rooftop bar right now to go uh, have a drink and overlook at the Manhattan skyline. Yes. <laughs> Y'all enjoy. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. Thanks.